together this morning. Father, some of us are in the midst of uh, of a trial uh, that feels very much like um, we are on the boat in the midst of a storm. Uh, The waves are all around us. They're crashing into our boat. Uh, We're scared and we're nervous, and we don't know where to look. Father, we confess to you uh, what we've sung with our lips. We believe in our hearts, and we ask that you would help us to live it in our life, that you would never let go of us. Father, we're grateful that once you come and you enter into our life through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, we become blood-bought children, and your hand is over us, and you will never let us go. In spite of what is going on outside, in spite of what is going on inside, um, your hand is firm. And Father, you promise that you, what, the good work that you have started in us, you will bring to a completion. And we're so grateful uh, that you never, ever let go of us and that your hand is strong and that your arm is mighty. We're grateful for that, Father. Pray as we uh, prepare to give uh, of ourself in many ways, as we uh, prepare to give our offering, as we prepare to give our attention and our focus upon your word and, uh, and even uh, a time of prayer. Uh, we ask that your spirit would be among us. Jesus, that you would be honored and that the Spirit, you would come help us to honor uh, the Son and all that we do in, uh, with our money, with our time, with our thoughts, with our songs, uh, with everything that we are. Uh, we ask, Jesus, that you would be honored with that. And today, in particular, as we delve into uh, your, your word that you've preserved through your little brother, Jesus, uh, that we would hear about how to tackle trials well. Because we have been in them, we are in the midst of them, and we will continue to be in the midst of them. We ask that you would give us solid tools to navigate these waters. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. You guys may be seated. Our ushers are going to take our offering up at this point. And as they're doing that, um, I would invite you to go ahead and open up your Bibles, if you have it, to the book of James. Uh, So we're going from Old Testament to New. Uh, James is towards the end of your New Testament, uh, after the book of Hebrews. Uh, So go ahead and do that. We'll take our offering, and we'll jump in. Kids, go ahead and feel free to head out to Children's Church. I believe that Kim is waiting for you. And for the rest of us, I invite you once again to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of James, the little letter, about five chapters worth. 
um, of the book of James. So we've done some introductory stuff, so we're just going to really, uh, we're going to go ahead and jump in. So chapter one is where we're going to be. Uh, again, uh, beginning a series, uh, how to's for the Christian life. Uh, the book of James is very practical, very hands-on, and my hope is that we will come away uh, both from this sermon and future sermons with some practical tools for navigating the Christian life. Um, and so our sermon uh, this morning, James just jumps right in. Uh, he has a one-verse introduction. Uh, he just says, here's who I am, here's who I'm writing to, and let's get the ball rolling. And so he begins uh, in verse 1. And what we're going to see this morning is how to tackle trials. How is it that we are to tackle the inevitable trials that have come and are coming and, and will come our way as believers? How do we tackle trials in the Christian life? And my hope is that we will walk away um, with five tools, uh, five tools to help us tackle the trials in our life. Um, and so we're going to go ahead and begin. Uh, I'd like for us to read the text together. And so we're going to read verses 1 through 11 together. You can see the big picture. And then we'll kind of jump into it and break it apart a little bit. So if you wouldn't mind reading with me. Uh, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet, various, uh, when you meet trials of various kinds. Uh, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the person, uh, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James begins talking about how to tackle trials. And again, James is very practical. Um, when I was in college, uh, I was a business major, management. And uh, the ironic thing is I still can't manage anything. But, but I have a degree on my wall that says not, uh, you know, business, management. Um, but I guess they, they thought that we needed some science in our business curriculum. Not exactly sure what biology um, or chemistry has to do with business. I'm sure there's some link. And so I had to take my obligatory two um, science classes. And so I decided to take biology. I had bi biology in high school, and I enjoyed biology. And so I took college biology. And if you've ever had a biology class in high school or college, um, the way mine worked is we went to class like three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we had lecture. And you go to lecture and you listen to the prof lecture to you and teach you everything you need to know about life and plants and biology and animals. And so it was the lecture portion of the class. But as many of you know, not only uh, do you have a lecture portion of the class, but you also have what? You have a lab, right? And so lab was when you got your hands dirty. Lab was when you took what you were supposed to learn from the lecture portion and actually apply it to whatever it was you were working with. And so uh, by way of analogy, oftentimes books of the New Testament contain both lecture portions and laboratory 
portions. That is, you get theology and then you get a, a practical living section. Uh, most oftentimes, Paul writes this way. But when we dive into the book of James, we don't really get, uh, we don't get much of a lecture. In fact, James pretty much dives right into the lap, right into the hands-on of the Christian life. And he begins uh, with the first tool, if you will, if you're taking notes. The first tool uh, for tackling life's trials is found in verses 1 and 2. And the first tool for doing that is that of joy. The first tool that James wants, to, wants us to walk away with is the possibility, the possibility that we can actually experience joy in the midst of a trial. Let's read this together again. Verse 2, James gets right into it and he says, count it. Notice the word that he uses. Count it all joy, my brothers, brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. The first thing that James wants us to know is that, and he's going to explain this later, he's going to tell us why we can have joy in the midst of trials in verse 3. But he, he throws it out there and he says there's the possibility of joy even in the most dark of times. He says, count it all joy. Now, I don't know about you, but when I begin the book of James, he, I think he starts off with maybe the most hard command of all, joy in the midst of trial. He says, count it all joy. I don't know about you, but I read that and I'm like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Are you, sure you didn't, you know, are you sure you didn't get that wrong, James? Are you, is that really what you're meaning to say? Yeah, that's what James is trying to say, that there is a real possibility of true joy and that we, when we encounter various trials, can count it joy. Now, the word count, uh, your translation may say something like consider it. Count it. Consider it joy. The word is important. It essentially means to formulate an opinion on something. It, it talks about a mental consideration or a choice to see something, an object, a circumstance, in a particular way. And so it's something that we must do in our minds when we face a trial. Um, mentally consider the circumstance that we're in, the trial that we're in, as being able to have joy in the midst of it. Uh, by way of illustration, uh, the idea of considering, counting something uh, in a particular way. Uh, about a week ago, Shelley and I um, went into Champaign, and uh, I needed some new short sleeve shirts, like this one. You like? Yeah, it's good. Um, baby blue. Steve said, your shirt's the color of the sky. <laughs> I said, yeah, it is. Um, and so I needed some new shirts, and so we went shopping, and... Uh, we actually got all of my shirts, except for this one, at one store, which is, I don't know, that's the way guys want to do it. You know, you get in, you find your stuff, and you get out. You don't have to look around. You find what you want. And we did it. Thank you, Shelly, for doing that. And so we went in, and uh, we, you know, it, it was very systematic. We went throughout the men's section, and I picked out particular shirts that I thought had potential, that I thought looked good, and we kind of c compiled them together. And then Shelly and I went through the process of looking at each shirt and considering uh, it in our mind, whether it was good or bad, whether we liked it or we did not like it. Now, Shelly and I have most of the same taste, but on occasion there would be a shirt that I'd look and you know, I'd put it up there and, and I would consider it, I would count it as being good. I liked it, I thought it fit well, it, it was cool, and, uh, but there were uh, on occasions that Shelly considered the exact same shirt 
she looked at it and she counted it as less than attractive. <laughs> she counted it as, well, I don't think I like that shirt as much. And so the point that I want to illustrate is that that is similar to how we can look at trials that come into our life. One person can have a trial in their life, and as James is saying, for reasons we'll get to in one second, can look at that trial and consider it in their mind that they can have joy in the midst of that trial. But at the same time, uh, that same person or another person can have the exact same trial, the exact same shirt, if you will, and look at it, and instead of counting it joy, they can count it bitterness. They can count it anger. They can count it defeat. And so what James says is he says, look at the circumstance that you are in. And mentally consider that you can have joy in the midst of it. Notice another thing that he says. He says, count it all joy when you uh, meet various trials. What I don't think that James is saying necessarily is that we have joy for the trial. But I think what he's saying is that we can have joy in the trial. I don't think he's saying, great, my house is going to be foreclosed upon. Yay! I don't think that's what he means by that. I don't think he, he says just put a, 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 a smile on your face like a mannequin, regardless of what is happening. I don't think that's what he means. But what he does mean is he says, you look at the trial, you consider that you can have real joy in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the tears, in the midst of the agony. And we're going to see why in verse 3. So the first thing that he says is, first tool that he wants to put in our hands is that we can truly have a supernatural spirit wrought joy in the midst of trials. And so I want to ask you, maybe you're in the midst of a trial right now. And we're going to see here in a little bit that there are all sorts of trials. A lot of different things can count as a trial. Maybe you've recently come through a period of trial. Maybe you'll face a trial tomorrow morning at work. I'm not exactly sure, but I want to ask you, if you're in one now, if you've been through one recently, which everyone has experienced that, would you say, would you say that you counted it as joy? Could you honestly say that you felt, along with the tears and the sorrow, a God-delivered, produced joy? Subsequently, I think to help us evaluate this, we need to ask ourselves a few questions. First of all, what would it look like for you to have joy in the midst of your trial? We need to ask that question. If you're in the midst of one right now, ask yourself, and we're going to meditate and pray on this later, and we're going to apply it. What would it look like, what do you think your life would look like if you counted the current trial that you're in as joy? What would that practically look like? What, how would you treat your wife differently? How would you uh, respond at work Differently, What would it look like for you to count it as joy? Secondly, not only would it look, what, what would it look like, but what would you not be doing that you currently are? Not only what could you be doing that you aren't, what would you not be doing that you currently are if you counted your trial as joy? I'm going to allow us some time to meditate on this in a second. But the first tool that he gives us is the real possibility. And maybe you've seen someone in the midst of a trial and you think, how can they be that way? How can they respond this way? It's supernatural joy. We're going to see why. James moves on into verse 3. Uh, but before we do that, he gives us another tool. The first tool is the possibility of joy. The second tool is what I call expectation. Notice what he says in verse 2. 
Count it all joy, my brethren. What's the next word? When. Notice what he does not say. He does not say, count it all joy, my brothers, if. He doesn't make it contingent. He doesn't say it's a possibility that you will have a trial as a Christian. What he says is, count it all joy, my brothers, when. In other words, if you haven't had one, you will. If you're not in the midst of one now, you will be. It's a fact of life for believers and unbelievers. When you meet trials of various kinds. And so what he's saying is, is that a mature believer, if we want to tackle the trials that come into our life well, we need to have an expectation, a reasonable expectation that our life is not just going to be peachy all the time. We need to have a reasonable expectation that God will bring blessings and he might also allow junk to come into our life for his divine purpose. We have to not be caught off guard by it. Have a reasonable expectation the trials will come. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but in my household, um, Shelly and I both are caught off guard rather, rather easily. We are surprised rather easily. We're, we're jumping, for lack of a better word. Any, anyone want to admit in public that you are like this? Anyone jumpy out there, scared easily? Really? None of you? Well, Shelly and I are in trouble. <laughs> Um, but we are jumpy. We can walk in on one another and, whoa, startle. You get startled. We're jumpy. We're frantic. We can be easily scared, easily surprised. And I think that what James is saying is that many believers, when it comes to facing trials in their life, they're like that. They're easily surprised. They're jumpy. They're caught off guard when something less than pleasant comes into their life. And what James says is, no, have an expectation that it's going to happen. Not only that... But notice what else he says. When you meet trials of what? Of various kinds. And what James is telling us is not only should we have an expectation that trials will come, but we need to expect trials in all shapes and all sizes. The word here for various, various trials in Greek uh, describes something that is multicolored, if you will. And so in the Greek, uh, this word is used to describe birds of, 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 uh, of multiple colors, like a, like a parrot. It has a bunch of different colors. It's also used to describe, as much as I hate to admit it, snakes that have various colors on them. I'm terrified of snakes. And so if I see one that's plain or multicolored, I will faint. Um, and please don't try it. Um, but what he's saying is that trials, man, they're multicolored. Uh, they're hard. They're not as hard. Uh, they, they come in different shapes and sizes. There are bigger ones. There are smaller ones, so to speak. And so they can be big kind of trials. Things like the death of someone you love, the loss of a child, the loss of a job, a stock market crash, an ominous diagnosis. Things that we consider trials to be big. They're big. But they're not just the big ones. They're things that happen at work on Monday morning. As you drive to work and uh, you know, you're late because there's construction. That is a trial. Uh, you might have a sick and fussy child at home. That is a, a trial. For young kids or teenagers, someone might be picking on you at school. That is a trial. Those of you who uh, are, are bosses and own businesses, you might have an uncooperative employee one day. All of these things cover the gamut of the possibility of trials. And so I want to ask you to consider 
A couple things. First of all, what trial might you be facing? Uh, is it a big one? Is it a little one? Is it a big one and a little one? Is it one big one and four little ones? What is it that you're facing today? And secondly, were you caught off guard by it? Did it surprise you? I want to challenge you not to, not to buy into that which can be commonly preached uh, today, which is the notion that Christians won't ever face anything hard, that God wants only good things to come into our life and never anything bad. Um, what James clearly says is that we need to live with an expectation that trials will come. So the first tool he gives us, joy. We can have joy. The second tool that he gives us is expectation. We need to not be caught off guard. So moving then to, to verse 3 and 4. How is it that we can have joy? How can we consider the current trial that we're in, the future one that's coming, joy? How can we look at it and say, it's a t-shirt and it's hideous, and say, oh, it looks great. How can we do that? How can we have joy? Well, James tells us in verses 3 and 4. Let's read this together. He says, for... He's giving us the reason why we can have joy in these multicolored trials. For you know, so it's something that you know. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Essentially, the third tool that that James wants us to put in our tool belt, if you will, is not only joy, is not only expectation, but it's growth. That's the word I've used to describe it, growth. What James wants us to know is that the reason why we can look at the trial and say, I can have joy in the midst of this, is not because of the trial itself, but because, listen to this, but because of what the trial can produce in you. Do you see that? Because of the possible result that God might just, with your cooperation, if you, if you handle the trial well, produce maturity and growth and holiness. And that is why we consider trials joy. Uh, a professor at DTS, one of, our, one of our favorite professors, he's an older prof there. His name is uh, Dr. Toussaint. What's his first name, shall I remember? Stan, Dr. Stanley Toussaint. Um, he says this as he, uh, as he writes his commentary on, on this verse. He says, You show me a Christian who has not suffered, and I will show you a spiritual wimp. And I think he's right. What James is saying here is that we can grow like none other, like no other curriculum, like no other divine curriculum, God can use trials to grow us and mature us in our faith. And if we love Jesus, and if we're growing, and we, we desire that above all, and we know that that is what our joy is in, that's what our meaning is about, well then we can look at it and say, the shirt looks hideous, but I'm going to call it joy. That's why. <clears throat> Notice what he calls trials. Notice verse 3. For knowing that the testing of your faith, he relates a trial that comes into your life as a test. And, and that seems pretty obvious to me. Uh, because when trials into our life, we tend to have our faith, our trust in God, questioned. It, it can shake our faith. And we ask questions like this. God, do you really love me? Don't we ask those questions when a, a trial comes, God, do you really know what you're doing? God, are you really in control? God, do you really have my best interest in mind? Do we not ask these questions when trials come? It's because it's a test. It's a test of our faith. 
And what James is saying is that there can be a positive result. The word testing here, for you know that the testing of your faith, literally the idea is, is a test that someone passes and the resulting uh, uh, consequence is that they pass the test. It's a test that is passed. And so it's not just a test that, notice, the testing of your faith, what does it produce? What does it say, people? You can say it. Steadfastness. Your translation may say perseverance. And so James wants us to know that when we handle trials rightly, when we engage in trials and we see it as a test and we pass the test, that's inherent in this word, when we pass the test, then something good comes. But what James is not saying is that when a, a Christian faces any trial, that that trial in our life, in my life and your life, will inevitably produce steadfastness and maturity. Because you know from experience, from your experience, and from other people's experience, that a test can go one of two ways. People can take it and they can count it as joy and they can allow God to shape their character like none before. Or they can be bitter. They can be angry. They can doubt. They can have the foundations of their very faith shook. And they can even leave the faith. And in your mind's eyes, from your experience and from others, you're thinking about people and experiences that that has happened. Because what James is not saying is that, oh, a test comes into my life. Boom. Automatically. I persevere. No. What he's saying is that it's a test and we have to pass it. But when we do pass it, notice what it produces. A couple things. A couple things. It produces steadfastness. Uh, perseverance, your translation may say. Here's the idea of steadfastness. It's the idea of enduring of enduring, of staying steady under pressure. Simple illustration. How many of you like watermelon? Watermelon? Okay. I'm becoming more of a watermelon fan. I, I didn't really like it growing up, but I'm kind of coming around, and Shelly likes it, that I'm coming around. I think one of the things I don't like about watermelons is all the seeds, you know? I mean, you can get seedless ones, and those are okay. <sighs> Call me lazy. I don't want to take a bite and then have to, like, filter out what I'm eating, you know? That's just me. But the thing about watermelons is they have a lot of seeds. So imagine a slimy, wet, fresh watermelon seed. And imagine what would happen if uh, I set it on a flat surface, pretend this is flat, and it's wet and it's gooey and it's slimy, and I put my thumb on it and I pressed down. I gave it pressure. What is most likely going to happen to that seed? Boop, it's going to squirt off, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to yield under the pressure. It's going to fly in some direction. Well, the image of perseverance, of steadfastness, is that I'm pushing as hard as I can on that seed, and it doesn't move. It endures. It stays steadfast. And this strikes me as odd, because when most of us, me included, when I encounter any kind of a trial, big or small, the first thing that I typically say is, God, get me out of it. Do we not? God, take this away as quickly as you can. And while I don't think that's necessarily wrong, I don't, I don't hardly ever... I don't know about you, I don't hardly ever find myself praying, God, help me to stay under the pressure. God, help me to persevere. God, help me not to yield. Do you pray that way? James says we should. It produces steadfastness. And notice, when we persevere, when we endure the pressure, what is then the result? It's growth. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect. Complete, your translation may say mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So here's a simple illustration. The point is, is that the possibility of joy exists in trials because what God can do with us if we allow him to 
is he can shape our character. He can fill the, goal, the, the, the gaps in our character, the holes in our character. And God uses trials to look at our character and say, I'm going to make you more complete, more mature in every facet of your character and every facet of your being. And so, if you will allow me the use of a simple illustration, thanks to John Keane. John, thanks for the cheese, man. John ran and got this cheese for me. Um, this is... Uh, this is a piece of Swiss cheese, and uh, you may notice that I poked the holes in it myself, <laughs> because uh, Swiss cheese normally has holes in it. That looks like holes, right? Okay. Uh, Swiss cheese normally has holes in it, and um, facing a trial gives us the possibility of being like, we're, we're like Swiss cheese when we face trials, okay? Um, we have holes in our character. We have defects. We're not perfect. We're not mature in every area. We have holes in our character. And so what God is trying to do when he looks uh, at a trial coming into our life is he wants to fill in the gaps in our character. Um, When I grew up, we grew up on... I'm going to put the cheese away. Um, I grew up on American cheese. And literally, I didn't know there was really any other kind of cheese other than American and cheddar growing up. So any sandwich I ever had growing up was American. And so I went to college and I... Man, I had my horizons broadened when I went to the lunch line, and I found out there are all sorts of kinds of cheeses that you can put on your sandwich. And I was in heaven. Um, And one of the ones that I really liked is Swiss. I love Swiss cheese, but I'll be honest, the first time I saw it, I was like, why would anyone want a piece of cheese that has holes in it? You know, I, I don't, give, don't give me a holy cheese. I want a full slice, you know. That was my thought. I want a full slice of cheese. And then I came to taste it, and I thought, oh. Wonderful, I don't care if it has holes in it. Uh, but, but the point is this. It's like Swiss cheese. There are character defects that we have in our life. And I want you to think about the trial that you are going through, the trial that you've been through, one in the past. Think about how, if you responded rightly, that God was actually using that to fill in the hole of your character. Um, by way of illustration, um, I'll share, I guess personally, on this note. Um, growing up, um, I was uh, so unlucky to be con- uh, afflicted with canker sores or cold sores, fever blisters is what my dad called them. If, you, if you've ever had one and you get them, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, external, right there, big, puffy, so tremendously painful. I've had these all my life. And coming from a person like myself, as I became a teenager and got older, Shelley will attest to this, that... Nothing will ruin my day or my week or my two weeks like a cold sore. Uh, speaking personally, I grew up, um, I care a lot about what people think of, about me. I care about my, per, my, my looks. I care too much about people's image of me. And so as I grew in my faith and I became a believer and, and I came to see cold sores not just as a random effect of me being stressed out, although that to some degree is what it is. But I would, I would take these many trials, which were big trials for me. Shelly can attest that for a week, I would not want to go outside. I wouldn't want to do anything but do my homework and eat and sleep and pray that it would go away. It was a big deal for me. Um, I've gotten better, have I not? I think I have. Um, but I had to see that God was using, he was looking at my character and he saw a big gaping hole in my Swiss cheese of character that was self-image, self-perception, caring too much about how I looked and what other people perceived of me. And every time I got a cold sore, 
I began to get this idea that, oh God, you're trying to teach me something through this. And I, and I can honestly say that he has grown me in this area so that it's, it doesn't affect me nearly like it did. So what about you? What are the holes in the Swiss cheese of your character that God is wanting to fill right now through a trial that you may be going through? We're going to think about this in a second. Joy. Expectation. Growth. The fourth tool is that of prayer. Read with me verses 5 through 8. 5 through 8. James says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so the fourth tool that God gives us is prayer. I don't know about you, but when I am in the midst of a trial, I tend to pray a whole heck of a lot more than when I am not. And what James is saying is, is this is a tool. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, and the, pres- and the presupposition is that we all lack wisdom. We don't see things God the way God sees it. The idea of wisdom here is viewing circumstances and viewing life uh, through God-tinted lenses. Seeing our circumstances the way God sees our circumstances. That's... Uh, wisdom, if you will. And what he says is that when we face trials, how in the world are we going to consider it joy? How in the world um, are we going to be expectant of them? How in the world can God grow us through them? Well, we pray. (laughs) We pray for wisdom because we need help. We can't do this on our own. It's utterly, man, I mean, you read that verse and you're like, that's impossible. Well, yeah, it is. Except God can give you wisdom and then it's Possible. Notice what he says. If any of you lacks wisdom, and we do, let us ask God, we pray, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so he says there is an avenue of prayer that we can have, and God will give us wisdom. Wisdom. I think specifically what he's saying is that if you're facing a trial and you don't know how to handle it, You don't know what you should do. You don't know how you can have joy. You don't know what areas God was wanting to grow you in. Ask him. (laughs) Pray. That's what he is saying here. And then, but there's a condition. God will give generously, but. There's a big but in verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts, and he uses an illustration of the person who wants to come to God, asking God for wisdom in the midst of a trial, but doubts. Notice the image. is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So he says it's very much like being in a boat on a storm-tossed lake. And you're just being rocked back and forth. You're unstable. In fact, in verse 8, uh, let's read that. Uh, verse 7, excuse me. For that person must not suppose to receive anything from the Lord. Verse 8, notice what he calls him. He is a double-minded man, unstable. And all of his ways. And he likens this person who wants to trust God but doesn't as unstable. Have any of you ever been in a, in a canoe similar to this one on a big lake? Anyone ever been on one? I have been to, I grew up on the lake, jet skis, boats, that kind of thing. I love being on the water. In fact, I love being on the water when it's windy and wavy and I have a jet ski. It's so fun. It's, I love it. It's, it's wonderful. But the only thing I don't like about being on a boat, whether it be a jet ski or a fishing boat, my dad's fishing boat, which is kind of like that, when it's windy, is that it's so unstable and you're tossed back and forth. And especially when you get off of a jet ski and you try to get back on and you're being tossed and you're, you're so unstable, it's nearly impossible to handle. And this is what James says. He says, if you doubt... That is how you are. You're double-minded, literally double-souled. So what does this mean? 
I want to I quote a, a pastor by the name of Bob Defenbaugh. He gets to the point of this, of this passage right. <clears throat> he says this. James is saying that we had better not ask for wisdom from God unless we are also willing to follow the wisdom he provides. I think that's what he's saying. Don't come to God and say, I, wanna, I think I want to persevere. I think I want to have joy. I think I want my character to be, be, be mature. But, well, but I kind of want to complain and I kind of want to be bitter and I kind of want to fall away from you too. You're double-minded. You're double-souled. And what he's saying is, if you want wisdom from God to how to handle it, to have joy, and to grow through prayer, well, then you better mean it. That's what he is saying. Uh, nothing was uh, made this more alive to me. Uh, about three weeks ago, Shelly and I began uh, doing a, a two-week stint on the South Beach diet. And we made it just about towards the end. I think we cut it one day short. Um, but we did, we did pretty good. I think we made, we made it through. And, uh, but before we began, we were talking about it. And I said, uh, I kind of want to do the South Beach. I think it'll be good. She said, okay, we can do it. And so she got food for it, and we were prepared to do it. But then I would make comments as the, as the day drew near, as D-Day drew near. Oh, but Kelly, I'm going to miss my pasta. Oh, I really want a sandwich. You mean I can't have any sugar? And I would make those kind of comments, you know. But then I would say, but oh, but it's going to be so good for me. I really need to lose a few pounds. It's going to be so good. And I would go back and forth. I was unstable. I was double-minded, right? I had my allegiance in one foot and, uh, in one area and my allegiance in the other. I kind of wanted to, but I kind of didn't want to. Uh, this is what he's talking about. Another good illustration is if you've ever had uh, a kid and you've been trying to teach this kid how to swim, I've been on the kid end, not the father end, but it looks something like this. There's a little child and they don't know how to swim and the daddy is down below and you set the child uh, up on the thing and what does the dad do? The dad says, jump, Right? And the little child says, right, you know, can I, can I, can I? <laughs> and he reaches out because he wants some assurance that daddy's going to catch him. He wants some assurance that daddy knows what he's doing and he can trust daddy. And so he kind of tiptoes. But you see the hesitation. Part of him wants to trust and experience uh, the power of his father to protect him and save him. But, but part of him wants to stay dry. He's double-minded. And that's how we can be when we face trials. And he says, if you want wisdom... If you want to see your trial rightly, correctly, and biblically, well, then don't doubt. <laughs> Be committed to doing this. We're going to take some time in just a minute, and we're going to pray. I'm going to lead us through just some time of private prayer, and we're going to apply this very passage. Tool number five. We're going to wrap up. Tool number five for tackling tools is what I call perspective. We have to have our perspectives changed. Verses 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, verse 10, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. And he concludes, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. When you first read this, you're like, I thought James was talking about trials. And then he's talking about rich and poor. What in the world? You know what I mean? What's going on? I think what James is doing is he has given, um, he has given his people and us some tools to handle trials. And then he applies it. I think he takes it and he applies it to, to his audience. And apparently some of these believers, these Jewish, Jewish believers, were poor. They didn't have much. And so he takes this and he says, let me show you what this looks like for you. So I'm going to apply this to your life. Poor believer. You're in the trial of poverty. This is, what, this is what godly wisdom looks like. 
Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. What does that mean? He's saying if you're poor and you're a believer, have your perspective changed so that you see that, yes, you may be physically, financially poor, but you are spiritually blessed. Later on in chapter 2, he says this. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen those who are poor financially in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? I think he's saying that, hey, have your perspective changed. You may be poor, but you are spiritually rich. And then he addresses those who are rich, apparently believers who are rich. And they weren't necessarily dealing with the trial of poverty, but he applies the trial of death, which comes to everyone. And he says, let this trial that's coming to all of us, you rich Christians, let it change your perspective on what is most important. Ten, and the rich should, uh, uh, should rejoice uh, in his humiliation. And then he goes on to say that they're like a flower and the grass that passes away. They die. He quotes Isaiah 43, I believe. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. The flowers fall. Beauty perishes. Essentially what he's saying is that you may be rich. But you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die one day. And so it should shift what is most important to you. It should shift what is most important to you. Um, we're going to skip the picture. That's there, guys. And so wrapping this thing up, what trials can do is they, it can, they can bring us a much-needed shift in perspective on things. Much like the poor believers needed a shift in perspective, they were terribly poor, but they are spiritually rich. This, this can be true of us, too. And so when we uh, have a diagnosis of a terminal illness, we begin to realize and our perspective is shifted that our business or our 401k or our bowling league is not as important as our family. It's not as important as us being effective for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we have, uh, maybe, uh, when we're becoming empty nesters and our youngest leaves the house, that perspective to realize that what is most important is the most primary relationship is me and my husband, not me and my kid. And my identity as a mother or a father is wrapped up in not my kid, but it's wrapped up in Jesus Christ. That's who I am. Because I'm a Christian, and then I'm a mom, and I'm a dad. And those are just a couple of ways that trials help us shift our perspective to help us see what is most important in life. We're going to close the service this way. I, I want us not just to be hearers of the word, as James says later, but to be doers of the word. And so I want, to tr- I want us to transition into this. The, the guys are going to throw on some soft piano music. And I'm going to lead us in just a real short time of prayer, of personal prayer. Uh, and I'm going to ask you questions. I'm going to give you things to think about. I'm going to give you things to pray about. And I would ask that you just spend a few moments uh, with you and God. Uh, think about that. Ask him for wisdom. And so I'm going to lead us in that. And then we're going to pray uh, a prayer together. We're going, to, we're going to read a Puritan prayer to close our service together as an affirmation of our faith. And so, guys, hit the music. I'm going to begin just with a quick word of prayer. And then I'm going to ask you a series of questions, meditations. Chew on them. Let's apply this to our life. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's so utterly radical that you tell us that we can have joy in the midst of trials. Things that are so supernatural that we can't do them ourselves. And so you ask that we come to you uh, asking uh, for wisdom, for help to see trials as you see them. And Father, that we should come without doubting, but desire, desirous and willing to follow through when you give us that wisdom. Father, I pray as we, as we chew on these things. Uh, that we would again not just be doers, but we would be uh, not just hearers, but doers, and that we would allow your word to sink into the depths of our heart. 
So I want to ask you, think about right now the trial that you're in, maybe one that you've just come out of, and ask God to help you to count that trial as joy. Ask the question, what am I doing that I shouldn't be doing? What am I not doing that I should be doing? What would it look like for me to count it as joy? You have not had joy. and You have not pursued it right. Confess that now to God. Maybe you're not in the midst of a trial now. Ask God to help you expect, to be expectant of the trials that may come. Ask Him for grace to to not be taken aback by them. I want you to ask, what are the holes in your character? God desires in the midst of the trial that you have been or are in right now. Say, God, what holes my character do you want to fill? Ask God. Ask God to help you grow in the midst of your trial. Ask Him how you should respond, what that looks like. Ask God for wisdom. He says He'll give it if we ask for it and believe. So ask God right now for wisdom. See the trial the way He sees it. Finally, ask God to help you see what change in perspective you need to have. Ask Him what you need to see is most important. How do you need to view this trial? Father, we're grateful for this time. Father, we're reminded that you often bring about righteousness through suffering and through trial. And Father, we've learned this morning that one of the chief classes in your divine curriculum is suffering and trials. Father, you bring us and you make us more righteous because of that. And we were reminded also that that's how you did it originally. That you made us righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. And that it was his trial. It was his suffering. It was his perfect life in our place on the cross and his resurrection that made us positionally righteous and right with you. And it is the same for us who follow Jesus, that you perfect us and make us righteous through trial. Father, I pray now as we recite this prayer together, I pray that we would mean it from our hearts and from our lips, and that we would go forth as people who are prepared to tackle whatever trial may come our way. And we ask it in the great name of Jesus. Would you go ahead and read this prayer with me? We're going to recite it and read it together, and then you'll be dismissed. A great prayer called the Valley of Vision. Beautiful prayer. Let's read it together. 
Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision, where I live in depths, but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the cross, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime stars can be seen from deepest wells, and the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. See you next week. Thanks.